A comfortable and secure socket fit is critical to a functional lower limb prosthesis. Obtaining and maintaining optimal socket fit remains challenging for many users despite advances in socket and suspension technology. Elevated vacuum is a suspension method that uses a pump to evacuate the air between the lighter and the socket wall, creating negative pressure within the socket. But what is the optimal elevated vacuum pressure when fitting prostheses on individuals with transtibial amputation? The most suitable elevated vacuum pressure may differ for each individual prosthesis user depending on suspension needs, socket fit, prosthetic components, and health. Hi everyone, I'd like to welcome you to episode 13 of ONP Research Insights presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetists. I'm Dr. Steve Gard, Editor-in-Chief for the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. My guest today is Dr. Joan Sanders, PhD. Dr. Sanders received a Bachelor of Science degree from Stanford University, Master of Science degree from Northwestern University, Go Wildcats, and PhD degree in bioengineering from the University of Washington. She's been trained by the numerous medical professionals she's worked with over her career, mainly surgeons, prosthetists, and orthodists interested in research. Dr. Sanders is currently a professor of bioengineering at the University of Washington. Her current research interests are in the development of novel sensors and control system technologies to automatically adjust prosthetic and orthotic devices to improve the comfort, function, and quality of life of people with lower limb disability. Today, we will be discussing a recent article that Dr. Sanders published in JPO entitled, Mechanically and Physiologically Optimizing Prosthetic Elevated Vacuum Systems in People with Transtibial Amputation, a pilot study. Welcome to the podcast, Joan. Hello. It's a pleasure to have you here, Joan. And just so you know, going a little off script here, but uh, whenever we started this podcast a year ago, I had it in mind that at some point I was going to have you on as a guest because I want to share with all of the listeners, you have been a tremendous advocate and proponent of JPO. And believe me, I appreciate every manuscript you submit to our journal. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to support the journal. It's uh, it's moving forward. It's really grown and really happy to see it uh, improving all the time. Well, thank you. We're working hard to do our best. Now, you've published quite a bit in this particular area that we're going to be talking about. So let me just start out asking, why does this topic interest you? Because it's cool. Elevated vacuum is, is really an intriguing concept, and it's exciting to look at, into it from my bioengineering perspective. But in this particular uh, case, perhaps more importantly, Ty Youngblood, who was then a graduate student in bioengineering, was really interested in it. And uh, after some discussion, we decided his PhD dissertation would be, let's figure out how elevated vacuum works. Very nice. So what was the motivation for this particular study? So from our experience and from studies reported in the literature, it was clear that elevated vacuum was beneficial to some prosthesis users, but not others. And we thought that by understanding how vacuum pressure affects both biomechanical and physiological variables, we could contribute towards an improved understanding of elevated vacuum. Those results could be important towards the development of recommendations for use of elevated vacuum systems and improving clinical care through more informed clinical decisions regarding elevated vacuum pressure settings. 
So what was the purpose of your study reported in this paper? So the purpose was to conduct testing on, on a small group of participants to understand how the vacuum pressure setting affected the person's limb fluid volume and rate of limb fluid volume change. Uh, there's cyclic motion in the socket, so their limb socket positioning, and also their comfort. And what were your hypotheses or expectations at the onset of the study, Joan? So after talking about elevated vacuum with, with a number of people, we expected that higher vacuum pressure settings would result in less limb socket displacement, that most limb socket movement would be eliminated below the maximum vacuum setting, and that higher vacuum settings would not correlate to improved limb fluid volume results. Well, let's get right into the protocol then. Would you please describe the experimental protocol for your study? So we conducted a study on three people who had successfully used elevated vacuum for at least six months. And we made a duplicate of their existing socket. This is something we do in most of our studies since we're not a clinical treatment center. We work very closely with local prosthetists and uh, really just duplicate the well-fitting socket they've made for the uh, participant. We instrumented the sockets with a pressure sensor to measure the vacuum pressure and also with inductive sensors to measure the limb motion in the socket at eight locations. So this was really limb socket interface motion sensing. Then during an in-lab scripted protocol, we monitored the person's limb fluid volume using multi-frequency bioimpedance analysis. Again, a technique we developed over 10 years ago now that we've used quite a bit on transtubular prosthesis users. So this is really a custom instrument that we've optimized for this application. We placed electrodes on the person's residual limb, and then we measured the electrical impedance resistance, essentially, in their limb while they walk on a treadmill. And then that electrical impedance is an indicator of extracellular fluid volume. The fluid volume really a primary interest in, uh, in this application. So in the study, the participants, they executed seven cycles where they did a control walk for two minutes on the treadmill, and then they did a test walk for two minutes, and then they sat for two minutes. And during each of those seven cycles, we uh, had a different vacuum setting, either a standby mode or setting 5, 8, 12, 16, or 20 on a uh, LimLogic EV system. The order of the settings was randomized. 30 seconds before the end of each control walk, we asked the person their socket comfort score on a scale of 0 to 10. And then with 30 seconds remaining in each test walk, right afterwards, we asked them their relative socket comfort score. In other words, how they had changed since the control walk. The vacuum pressure was applied only during the walking segments. During the sits, we actually released the vacuum pressure so the pressure didn't carry over to the next cycle. And essentially, that's the uh, data we collected. And then we looked at the relationships among these variables, the vacuum pressure, the limb socket motion, and their socket comfort ratings. Very nice, Joan. And that's something I just want to kind of reiterate a little bit is you use a lot of what I'm going to call or term unconventional measures in your research subjects by using instrumented sockets and using your volume measurement technique. I mean, I think they're wonderful. 
And uh, so I, I like the fact that you have developed these different types of measurements because I think it provides you with a lot of useful information. Yeah, well, thank you. Yes, that's um, I, I'm really an instrumentation sensor developer person. Uh, you know, I used to work in the garage at home when I was little making things. So, uh, you know, it's just a, this is great fun for us. So how many research participants did you end up enrolling in your study? We had three participants. They were all male, aged between 38 and 70 years, 5 to 17 years since amputation. Their BMI ranged from 25 to, to 44. None had diabetes, vascular disease. Uh, none of them used tobacco products, but they did all use an electronic EV system of, as part of their regular prosthesis. Now, I'm just curious, you mentioned none had diabetes or peripheral vascular disease. Are those contraindications for elevated vacuum, or were you just avoiding any kind of extraneous factors in your study? Definitely the, the second one. We had, in looking at the literature, we'd seen so many studies where people had trouble with the EV systems as research prostheses, and we wanted to, to make things as as nice as possible in this study. This sort of was an initial effort to measure both limb socket motion and fluid volume and vacuum pressure all at the same time and to try to minimize the problems we kept our, our subjects that way. And I think now that we've completed this study, we could certainly go on widen the inclusion criteria. So what were the primary findings of your investigation? What were the outcomes that you were able to determine? Yeah, so um, participants took a, about 100 steps during the activity protocol. So we had a lot of steps, nice, normally distributed data, which helped us uh, quite a bit in the analysis. The main thing, um, the high vacuum settings re resulted in reduced limb movement relative to the socket at all the sensor locations for, for each participant. In, in other words, you start to apply vacuum and you get less cyclic limb motion but as you increase the vacuum higher and higher, your, your rate of return decreases. In other words, you kind of reach a fairly stable limb socket motion. So the average motion for the standby setting on the EV unit was 3.35 millimeters. And then at a setting of 20, it was 0.14 millimeters. So it was really a, a huge difference in the limb socket motion between those two settings. So two of the participants, participants two and three, experienced the most displacement at the anterior mid-limb and anterior inferior locations, while the other participant, participant one, experienced the largest displacement at the distal end and the posterior inferior locations. So in other words, the sites varied on the participants. For all the participants, the posterior displacements, particularly in the mid-limb, tended to be relatively low. The mean was less than a millimeter. So that's consistent with what you'd expect. There's a lot of soft tissue there. You're not going to get as much motion. Interestingly, 81% to 93% of the limb displacement had been eliminated in each limb region by the setting of 12. So, you know, again, you're, you're really cutting down on that motion with relatively low vacuum settings. Changing the setting from 12 to 20 only, only accounted for an additional 7% to 19% reduction in movement. So the 12 setting corresponded to a mean vacuum pressure of about minus nine inches of mercury for the uh, participants. So that gets us on a, on a scale of what, you know, works in terms of the, the suspension. 
So that was great with the limb motion data, but the limb fluid volume data, it really didn't follow this pattern. The maximum fluid volume recovery occurred at a vacuum pressure setting of 12 for participant one and settings of 20 for participants two and three. And it wasn't this nice gradual change like we saw with the limb motion data. It was really much more inconsistent. And uh, for participant two, the anterior rates of fluid volume change were the lowest for setting 16. For participant three, only the setting of 20 resulted in positive anterior rates of fluid volume recovery. So again, there was just differences among the participants and across the, the setting. The changes in the relative socket comfort score, they didn't really correspond to changes in vacuum pressure setting. They generally increased at higher vacuum settings, but again, there was not consistency there. And uh, participants one and three, they didn't vary by more than, than one, so really minimal change. Participants two scores were a bit higher. One of the settings was actually up to a rating of three. So, you know, it's, uh, again, just not the same thing we saw in, in the limb uh, socket motion data. So in returning to your hypotheses, were they supported or refuted by the data? So we found that the higher vacuum settings resulted in less limb socket motion, just what like we expected. We were kind of surprised that a relatively low setting of 12 eliminated, you know, 81 to 93% of the, of the motion. So this suggests a relatively low setting, you know, will eliminate most of the motion, and that's truly something. I think there were some surprises how consistent the limb socket motion was, but how different the vacuum settings were. And I think this really kind of set the stage for some interesting discussion and thought as we move to try to understand this data. And since doing this study, we've gotten some additional insight that maybe helps us here. So this is not described in detail in the paper, but I'm going to tell you anyway, and hopefully uh, people hear this and get some ideas as they pursue elevated vacuum research. I think that part of the reason the limb fluid volume didn't sort of proportionally change with vacuum setting is that what you get really depends on how the limb sits in the socket and both its vertical up-down position as well as how it's rotated in the socket. And Ty did a very interesting study. Um, he developed a physical model that he described in a uh, medical engineering and physics publication that we looked at this issue, you know, it's very idealized, things were flat, and he had a model of the, of the socket and the interface and the distance in particular between the, the liner and the socket. And basically what he uh, came out with is that when the tissue has to travel a long radial distance to the socket, in other words, there's some airspace between the liner and the socket, or it's, the liner's not as firmly up against the socket, those are the regions you're going to get a lot of change in the vacuum pressure in the tissue. And that's where you're really going to sort of draw in fluid. So where you sit in the socket is really going to influence that. And you may have a region that is going to see a lot of change in tissue vacuum pressure, and, and that increases. But then you shift it, you know, a few millimeters in the socket, and, and that all changes. So we think that's part of what is going on. We also did a, an experiment uh, we published, I think it was last year or the year before, in which we sort of simulated vacuum and we actually attached the panels of a adjustable socket to the user's liner and we executed what we called panel pull. And it was essentially like vacuum, but the difference was we didn't pull on the bottom of the socket. 
we were just pulling on the on the sides and we saw similar results in terms of during walking yeah sure enough we're increasing the the fluid volume while the person is walking just like elevated vacuum but not having that distal in elevated vacuum pulling the socket tighter up the limb that didn't happen in that study with the panels and we basically got better results so i think that's something we really need to look at is elevated vacuum yeah you are pulling the tissues out to the socket but the other thing they're doing is you're pulling the socket further up onto the limb because the vacuum is happening over the entire surface so i think that difference could be explored further and and better understood. Thank you for interjecting those, uh, your additional insight from other studies. I think that's very useful and helps inform kind of some of your uh, conclusions in this uh, present study. Now, you mentioned a few minutes ago some of the surprises in your findings. Were there any other surprises that you could share with listeners, kind of unanticipated outcomes, and can you explain those? Yeah, so one another thing we saw is because we had eight sensors monitoring position, we could actually see rotation in the sagittal plane of the limb and the socket, not just the vertical up and down you think about as, as pistoning. We actually saw this rotation, and it was surprisingly high in terms of the displacements we measured. And so I, I think researchers need to kind of think about that and maybe change the pistoning idea to not thinking just up and down, but also rotation, and particularly how that's going to affect the anterior distal end of the limb if it's moving back and forth, rotating in the socket. And, and you've got so little soft tissue over bone there, you are potentially really concentrating interface stresses anterior distally if you do have a lot of rotational displacement. So that might be another thing that researchers may look into further uh, in terms of socket fit assessment, not just up and down. Distance. Interesting. So do you think that suggests the need for maybe a torque absorber in the prosthesis to help kind of alleviate some of the transverse plane rotation that may be occurring in the socket? So yeah, that's, so that's the transverse plane. I was talking about the sagittal plane, but oh, the transverse plane oh, oh. as well. Yeah. It's just interesting. I Now, another PhD student, Connor Lanahan, who has asked the question that you just asked about the rotation in the transverse plane. And this is, you know, again, it's the studies we're doing now that, you know, we go back and look at that EV study, elevated vacuum study, and, oh, maybe that's what's going on. So I do think this rotation thing is kind of a big deal. And it's interestingly in the, I think it's now two or three studies we've seen this, that the largest fluid volume changes we've seen, for example, in sockets that are too large, where do we see the greatest change of fluid volume? It's in that anterior or anterior distal region. And I, I think it's because when you rotate the limb in the sagittal plane, you're just concentrating that stress in a very small region. And that higher magnitude stress is potentially driving more fluid out of that region. So we're kind of going thinking along those those lines now, and Connor Lanahan's uh, PhD work will hopefully explore that further. Did you encounter any notable problems in the course of your study? And if so, what would you have done differently? Uh, not so much problems. It was pretty well thought out. Should acknowledge that we had Dr. Hafner was heavily involved in this, and you can see his influence both in terms of the quality of the study design 
and the exceptionally well-written papers that came out of that work. Brian is a magnificent student advisor. So we kept things pretty simple in that the participants were walking on a, on a treadmill controlled speed. We controlled a lot via that protocol. A next step would be to extend to different types of activities and, and monitor over a longer time frame and then potentially in participants at home settings. So that would be a, a next step. One thing I, I do think is the relatively low RSCR scores, they may have been due to the short time course of the experiment. Let's talk a little bit about clinical implications of your work. So what are the main clinical takeaways? How do you think your results can be applied to clinical practice? I think the first takeaway is in terms of suspension, it doesn't take much vacuum pressure to eliminate most of the limb socket motion, okay? If the prosthesis and the patient, if that's their objective, then, you know, you probably don't have to go up to that maximum vacuum pressure to accomplish that. Uh, in terms of managing limb fluid volume, the relationship between vacuum pressure setting and the rate of fluid volume change, it's complex. And practitioners should not expect the rate of fluid volume change to always increase with greater vacuum pressure. This is just a, a topic that really needs to be explored better in, by the um, research community to, you know, what vacuum pressure setting is optimal for a person. And in fact, that's what I was going to ask you next is, uh, do you have any recommendations for future research directions based on this work? Boy, <laughs> yeah, we need more vacuum research. It's just, you know, there's a few of us and it's hard, you know, if you don't have somebody who's already using a well-fitting EV socket, it, it's hard to fit new people with it and, and make it work right in that first go. So, you know, there's potential leakage issues with, you know, little micro holes in the, in the liner sleeve and leakage through the socket. We actually found it's possible to leak air through the socket wall. Um, we've taken steps to eliminate that. So it, it's tough, but if one reads the literature really carefully, you can eliminate most pr those problems that uh, we've experienced. And, you know, I, I think it's just a matter of getting that understanding and that's what we need to do. And, uh, you know, the people have contributed. When you look at all these different perspectives, you know, one group focused really on the uh, physiological aspects and did some interesting studies on that. Uh, we've come in from the limb fluid volume perspective, and other people have come in from the gait perspective. I, I think we all believe that elevated vacuum works best for people who are active. And that makes sense because the limb fluid volume increases happen during walking. The whole system works during walking. And, you know, if we're going to go on to the next step, it's going to take that physiological and biomechanical understanding and going further than what we've done. Because once we understand it, we can figure out how to optimize it. And, and that'll be great. Well, I think you're doing very fine work, Joan. So uh, thank you very much. I like to conclude every interview by asking, would you like to acknowledge any funding that you received to conduct this study? Why, sure. <laughs> uh, National Institutes of Health, that would be the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. And then the uh, Department of Defense, CDMRP, Congressionally Directed Medical Research Program, they funded the study. Very nice. Well, it's very commendable, too, that you have been able to receive the funding and sustain funding in this area for many years now. So, again, you know, I would like to encourage listeners that Joan has published numerous papers in this area concerning elevated vacuum 
residual limb volume, and it deserves a look. If you're not familiar with Joan's work, please seek out her papers and give them a read. Just one point. We have a new website with all the papers and the links. And so... Uh, oh, very nice. It'll save you a lot of time. <laughs> That's a University of Washington website, Joan? That's correct. University of Washington Department of Bioengineering. My name will probably get you there. Wonderful. Thank you for pointing that out. So we've come to the end of our podcast. So I'd like to thank Dr. Sanders for sharing her insights and discussing her research with us today. I'd like to remind everyone that if you would like additional information on this project, you can access the full article about this study in the Journal of Prosthetics and Orthotics. Thank you again for joining us for this episode of ONP Research Insights, presented by the American Academy of Orthodox and Prosthetics. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for ONP professionals. OMP Clinical Insiders, a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care, and OMP Rising, a podcast created for emerging professionals in our industry. Please plan to join us again next month for the Academy's OMP Research Insights podcast when we'll be hosting another author and discussing their recent JPO article.